Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson to here, and we'll be speaking about how to spiritually charge your daily routine. This uh, program is dedicated in memory of Rabbi Michal ben Shlema Olav Sholem upon his 19th yard site on the 11th of Elul. May these words serve to his merit and his family, and may everybody be blessed since we're in the middle of the month of El, which is the preparation for the new year, with a very blessed year for all people from all walks of life, from all faiths, from all backgrounds. So how to spiritually charge your daily routine seems very appropriate in general, especially in the world in which we live today, as we shall explain. Now, today was September 11th, the 18th anniversary from that uh, tragic attack. And uh, here in New York, you see the two pillars of light where the two, world, where the two um, towers stood. I remember that morning very well. That's that uh, Tuesday, fateful Tuesday morning, going up on the roof and seeing the smoking towers. Uh, so, of course, we remember and we uh, honor all those that were lost in that tragedy. I personally knew several people. I knew some people, their families. And uh, we always look at all types of destruction or tragedy as ultimately opportunities for profound growth while we also grieve. So though it's 18 years, but we don't just forget what happened, we try to transform it into something positive, which is also connected to this theme, and I wanted to uh, just emphasize that. So one of the great challenges in life, I would even say one of the most silent and yet devastating, demoralizing forces in our lives is a thing called seemingly innocuous boredom monotony. It doesn't seem very uh, harmful, and yet it is the breeding ground for some of the most toxic experiences in life. Because when there's a vacuum, when there's boredom and there's monotony, what happens? A human being is mobile. We're always looking for some high, for some rush, for some excitement. And when life becomes monotonous, you become vulnerable to anything that will, so to speak, give you that rush and that excitement, healthy or not healthy. So though on its own it may seem, as I said, innocuous, but it actually is, become, is, is the root of many, many, many issues. And especially when we are inundated, and I would say even overstimulated, our senses, by all that streamed at us literally 24-7, whether it's online, whether it's going to shopping, whether it's in the, in the street, billboards, we're constantly being inundated and, and our psyche assaulted, our senses overstimulated by so much, everyone wanting some of our attention, some of our time, some of our money. So that creates, like, like any drug, like, like sugar, a highs that are artificial, and then you're constantly looking for more of them. And if you don't have them, you feel like you're bored. Like, you know, this way of constant entertainment, 24-7 entertainment, and suddenly you feel uh, inadequate, you feel lacking, you feel deprived. So this issue has always been an issue, but especially in our day and age. And very often, when you talk to people about their challenges, and everybody has their challenges and issues, most will not be, point to this issue. If you start digging, you find that, yes, boredom and monotony began the process where you began seeking things 
maybe outside of your structure, outside of your relationships, things that may not be even healthy, things that may be, be forms of betrayal, and so on and so forth. And the list goes on. Because vacuum, nature abhors a vacuum, and the human psyche and the human soul abhors it even more because we are by nature constant movement. Think of the pulse, the heartbeat. Constant movement, a constant contraction, expansion, breathing, exhale and inhale. As we've talked about many times, the concept in Kabbalistic thought and explained in the, by the Hasidic masters, Ratzay and Shuv, tension and resolution. It's the very stuff of which life is made of. That constant flow, ebb and flow of life. And when it's not happening, or we think it's not happening, and we feel so called monotonous, or we feel bored, or we feel our routines are just trapping us, we're just going through the same motions, it's bound to lead to some problem. Yes, you can bury it and not to feel it, but it's bound to lead to something. And very often, because of the restlessness and because of even the pent-up energies, it can explode in ways that we are not necessarily going to be very happy with and definitely not others are going to be happy with. So one of the big challenges in life, can we vivify, can we electrify life and make it a constant passionate journey? Or are we trapped in this rut of going through motions? Look, you look at young children, they're excited about everything. You put them anywhere, they're exploring every nook and cranny, every hole, every outlet, to the point that we have to even protect them from their own for themselves. That's the nature of a young child. You get a little older, we get a little more lethargic, a little slower, and we still have that curiosity, but slowly the curiosity gets weaker. And when that happens, as I said, you start getting bored. Things become commonplace. So is it possible to infuse life? What can we do to spice up life? What can we do to infuse our our pedestrian daily activities with something that will really create that excitement. Because if we're able to do that, that's the best preventive medicine that can not just protect us, but preempt challenges. And on the contrary, you're kind of constantly on the proactive side because you are living an exciting, passionate life. So there are out there all kinds of tricks of the trade and you find the 10 ways to spice up your life, to spice up your love life, to spice up your general life, whatever it may be. They don't usually work, or they don't usually last. So the question is, what can we really do to be permanent and consistent and sustainable? And it's very relevant to the time of the year we're in, and very relevant to everything that we're doing in life, because sadly, sometimes it takes trauma and negative things to wake us up. That's why I mentioned September 11th, 9-11. Do we need to wait for tragedy? Do we need to wait for loss to suddenly wake up and say, you know, and smell the roses and realize there's something more going on to life? That's our objective. To find that type of energy, that type of passion, that type of um, uh, electricity in the common day. And not in a way that's superimposed, because that, as I said, will dissipate, but something that's sustainable, something that we can relate to on an ongoing basis. That's our challenge, and that's what we'll be discussing. I don't think anyone on earth cannot use an answer or direction or guidance on this matter, because, as I said, when, you feel, when you're living a passionate life, a driven life, a sense of urgency, where you feel that excitement, 
literally like that enthusiasm and free abandon and sense of adventure, you constantly feel that, that's the best preemptive medicine to most of the maladies that we succumb to. <clears throat> you know, much has spoken recently about what some call, what some call um, attachment disorder. The many addictions, whether it's porn addiction, whether it's drug addiction, especially connected to sexual addictions, are a attachment disorder. What does that mean? We're looking for attachment. We're looking for connection. We're looking for love. And when you don't get it in a healthy way, you begin looking for things that superficially or in some way can, at least for the moment, you feel some attachment. That attachment, unfortunately, can be to things that are really unhealthy. So we have to attack the root of it, not the symptoms. The root of it is to find attachments that are healthy to find love that is healthy. So how do we reach that place? And as I said, it has to be something that's not forced, that's not superimposed. So this takes us to a fascinating and uh, remarkable, I would say, astonishing even, concept, which is fundamental to Kabbalistic and mystical teaching. And that is that beneath the veneer of life as we know it, we'll call it ordinary life as we know it, lies tremendous amount of energy, often trapped and waiting to be released. Now today this isn't something you need to have faith for or just trust the mystics, but basic science, we know this to be the case. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, last week I believe. Think of the earth itself. As stable as the surface of the earth may be, Beneath the surface, you dig deeper, you know what's going on, what kind of temperatures, heat, pressure? We see it with the eruption of a volcano. We know that didn't come from nowhere. That molten rock, that molten uh, the lava spewing forth is coming from the belly of the earth. So beneath the crust, beneath the layers, lies a tremendous amount of energy. And the same is true, the sun is that way. The sun, however, is the entire planet. Even the surface is brimming with so much energy. But today, it's not surprising if anyone hears that within matter, there's all energy. As a matter of fact, matter is energy. So the fact that when we look at things that seems inanimate, it seems like it's not moving, it seems like it's just um, dead, lifeless, is simply a myth. Nothing is lifeless. Everything, even the mineral, not let alone a vegetable and, and animal and human being, is filled with energy, microscopic subatomic particles that are constantly spinning and in movement. And then in some strange way, which is still not fully understood, when it comes to the surface, just like with the, with the, the crust of the earth, there's a certain calm that settles in that becomes seemingly consistent to the point that we think it's just routine, it's regular even though beneath the surface and under the dashboard, so to speak, is filled with tremendous amount of energy. What about the human being? Same is true. You can look at a person, even if they're asleep, even if they're calm, even if they're in a type of comatose state, God forbid, and think, you know, there's not much there. But even when we're not active, there's much there. There's a soul at work. There's a spirit. But that spirit is very often trapped, trapped by our routines, trapped by our the demands and expectations of us, our schedules, what we, who do we need to answer to. So that's why so many people say, 
have so much pent up energy inside of me. I have so much going on. I have nowhere to release it. What do you think will happen? Somewhere it's going to give. So the point I'm making here is that energy and that flow, that what I called before dynamic vitality and passion is not something from the outside that someone comes and says, okay, here's a lifeless entity and let's figure a way to prop it up and to like pump into it some energy into this puppet and make it look alive. No, it's the very fabric of existence is life. Mobile life, constant movement, constant energy. That's why children, as they're born, they don't have to be trained to do this. Their natural state is movement. Their natural state is exploration, adventure, free abandon. No one's telling them, go do it, because that's the nature of the spirit. In my, the first chapter of my book, Toward a Meaningful Life, Body and Soul, that the soul is compared, based on the verse in the book of Proverbs, to a flame. The flame of God is the soul of a human being. Look at a flame. It's constantly flickering, constantly licking the air, defying gravity, transcending, looking upward, licking the air. That's what the soul is like. The soul is a never-ending a never flicker, constantly moving, constantly restless. The only thing that contains it is the wick, which is the body, to the point that we can convince ourselves that we're now calm and restless. It doesn't mean calm is not good, but I mean that we're not that restless, we're not that, mo- not that mobile, when it's not true. The soul is always mobile. The question is whether the flame goes undercover like a pile of flame that no one really notices. And that's where the dissonance settles in. A flickering flame, constantly seeking, curious, a sense of healthy angst, always wanting more, always wanting to grow, transcendence, versus the gravitational pull of the wick that so-called silences or quiets down, tames that energy. Now, we do need to be grounded. Having just an unbridled soul, an um, unfettered soul, can also be very disturbing and actually even dangerous. So you need the balance, but you don't want it to the point where the wick almost extinguishes the flame, where you lose your idealism, you lose your hope, you lose your optimism, the belief in possibilities. You want to always maintain that because it's very much who we are in our spirits. But you want it to be grounded. You want it to be contained. Tension, resolution. We can't just have high peaks. You need to also integrate it, internalize it in our lives. Something we've discussed about many, discussed many times. But the key thing is this. There's an energy and there's a container using the word language of the mystics. A oir and a keli. The energy is like a flame. Connected to and always seeking to connect to higher states. To the point of actually it constantly looking to shed itself of its existing identity in order to transcend and reach a higher state of being. And then there's the container part, the wick, whose role is to ground it, give it shape and form, concretize it, tangible. And you don't want one compromising the other, you want them to work hand in hand. Unfortunately in life, and you could even say as a, say, state this as a formula, when there's no real balance, you either have too much energy or you have too much container. And that's where there's an imbalance. The perfect balance and harmony is we have both. The constant flickering, constant seeking, 
growing, but also integration, internalization, grounded. And a, and a constant ebb and flow, as I mentioned, Ratzay and Shuv, tension and resolution. But the key point that we want to take out of this is that as we get older, we forget more about the energy and the flame, and we become more trapped in our routines, trapped in the grounding to the point that the flame is not stopping to flicker, but in our lives we're not accessing it. So it remains some type of deeper inner state that once in a while comes and nudges you and prods you on to try to grow. But we keep it at bay, and very often we silence it, and we don't listen to it, because I'm too busy now. I'm too busy for transcendence. I'm too busy for growth. I have to pay my bills. I have to go to work. I have this headache and that headache. Now these responsibilities, and I have these agonies and anxieties, and I have this, these wounds to lick and heal from. So what happens is you become a product and a victim of circumstances. So though the container is important, but if you become too much of a container, then that's what happens. Then it becomes more and more lifeless and more and more monotonous and more and more boring because you have now surrendered in a way and resigned yourself to, okay, this is my life. What should I do? More things change, the more they stay the same. And you slowly, what happens is your enthusiasm and the idealism of our youth begins to dissipate, begins to wane. With once in a while frequent reminders. But that doesn't have to be the case because it hasn't waned. It's there alive in you as stronger than ever. It's your consciousness, it's your attitude that has changed. So the challenge here is not to bring in some outside entertainment or outside forces that are going to superimpose and say, okay, we're going to get this lifeless entity alive again. And that's exactly what the media does. That's exactly what outside entertainment does, living vicariously through other people's lives. It's not accessing your energy from within. It's letting others entertain you and keep you moving. So it's like almost a lifeless entity that's kept alive through motions and through excitement and through laughter and so on. Some of it resonates and touches a deeper place as well. But a lot of it is letting others entertain you. You're watching them. And through that, you are somewhat, by osmosis, being affected and lifted by it. Even when it's healthy. And how much of it is even healthy? Just a complete escapism. Adventure. I love adventure. I watch adventure films. Action. What about the, the action and adventure within your soul? What happens to that? And to say that I'm going to watch an exciting adventure film or read a book of that sort, a thrilling book, and that's so-called awakening my spirit, by all means. But does it last the last after the book? The next morning, do you wake up and say, ah, oh, I'm going to take on life, seize the day. I'm going to do things I never did before. Pioneering, innovative. You usually find the other way around. You go back for another book, for another film, because you need the drug, you need the rush. So if it indeed resonates in a way that motivates you, by all means, it's not usually the case. Because the stimulation is not coming from within you. It's coming from outside of you. That doesn't always mean a bad thing. Sometimes stimulation does have to come from outside. But somewhere the flame has to catch. It's to be your flame. You have to ride the flame that rises on its own. So now the challenge is how do we access that? And since it's within you, then once you access it and you have tools, you're not looking for outside stimulation alone. You have it within you waiting to be released. 
That's why it can be sustainable. Because it's yours. And it was always yours. And for months, if not years, of your early, early formative years, that's the way, how you lived. That type of sense of an adventure and excitement and movement and so on. So we have the concept in the words of the Balshemt of the great Hasidic master and mystic, which is really a, th- a theme that existed before him, but he publicized it. He made it popular, so to speak. He spread it out, he disseminated it. The concept of perpetual creation. That existence is not a static state, but it's constantly perpetuating, perpetually being renewed. Think of electricity. Electricity that runs into your home, into your light bulbs, into your appliances, into everything that is electrical in your home. Electricity runs, it can't stop. It has to constantly be renewed from its source. Yes, it can last a short while, but as you shut off the switch or the electricity shut off from the main to your home, everything, all the lights will go out. The appliances will die down. You'll need a generator to generate more electricity. So electricity is a perpetual force, like it's constantly flowing. You can even say that about things like water, the water running into your home. Okay, the water could be in the pipes and remain there. It's not quite as needed the renewable element of it. It's not pure energy. But also, if it doesn't renewed, it'll dry up. Everything needs to be renewed. These are just examples. So on a cosmic level, the concept of divine perpetual creation, the idea of constantly existence being renewed from its source. If you think about it, it's a fascinating concept. Because it's essentially saying that, going back to the theme I mentioned in the language of physics, it's essentially saying there is no such thing as static reality. Everything, this table, even things that seem lifeless and dead, the mere fact that they exist means there's some energy that's constantly flowing to keep it in, in existence. So then the question is, how do you tap into that? And of course, we're talking about the individual. So it's not just you that is constantly being renewed, and you have that flickering flame, that restless energy, the pulsating energy. But everything that you come in contact with, the food you eat, the people you meet, the places you travel to, even inanimate things, everything you come in contact with also has that energy. And here's the beauty, it joins together. When you are alive, you bring other things alive. So how do you do it? It's not as complicated as you think. However, it takes concentration and focus. It's not going to happen accidentally. So to use a simple example, you're walking in a field. You're very hungry or thirsty. It's a hot day. You suddenly see this juicy apple on an apple tree. And you crave for it. So you go ahead, you take the apple. And here are three options. You just indulge and press it and just gobble it down. And maybe you'll need another one. It's one approach. Another one is, you know what, you say, I'm not going to indulge myself, I'll just ignore the apple, move on. And the third is, you take the apple, you make a blessing on it. And you meditate, and you think, why was this apple created? Why is it here? It's here because it's going to give you energy and strength and refresh you. And you can use that refreshment and that renewed energy to go do a good deed, to say a kind word. You'll have strength to do something positive. What's the difference in the three approaches? The first approach 
is you basically take an apple and just indulge in it. The apple is no longer an apple. And you've indulged, and it could even be that you're taking the energy and using it for selfish or even on destructive purposes. Option two, you've ignored it, and you haven't changed anything. And option three is, you're actually redeeming, you can say. You're, rele- you're freeing, the way the Kabbalists put it, the divine sparks, the spiritual sparks that are in that apple. They join with the spiritual par- sparks within you because you're thinking how that energy is going to be used for something positive. And what you've done is, You've, you've released energy from the apple and from yourself. Not just the physical energy that it gives you to sustain, that the apple gives you, the food gives you to sustain you, but the spiritual energy that you have in some way changed the world. Because everything that comes your way is there for that purpose, for you to release its energy and release your energy, let those energies join, and something of greater glory and greater light is, is created. You've generated, you've initiated. If you look at your life that way, that every step you take, every apple you meet, for that matter, any fruit, any person, any interaction, wherever it may be, is, wait, is energy waiting to be released, energy that's alive and kicking and pulsating, then is there a possibility for monotony? No, because you're in touch with the inner fiber, the marrow of life itself the pulsating marrow, the pulsating flow of energy, of the life force within things. And when you're in touch there, everything becomes exciting and everything becomes passionate. And it's coming naturally. It's not forced. It's not a temporary escape, a temporary high. Sexuality, one of the greatest forces in life. What does it do to people? It creates not just the actual experience, but the drive the hunt, if you wish, the desire, which for many is even greater than, as they say, better to, it's more pleasurable to want than to have. But however you understand it, what does that do? In some mysterious way, it taps also into that type of energy. It's all about pulsating energy. However, it can be used like anything in a very escapist type of way, hedonistic way, where it's all about just indulging and getting some pleasure for the moment, which won't last. And then you'll need another fix, another hit. When you think of the intimacy of sexuality in its holy and sacred form, that this is a way of connecting to your soul and connecting to another person's soul in the most deepest and seamless fashion. And in a way, it's a reflection of our connecting with the divine itself. This, making love with the divine. An intimacy, our soul connecting to the divine soul. You're doing exactly that. You're tapping into that energy. So eating an apple and doing other such activities is also exists, but not quite with that same intensity. Because sexuality, intimacy, touches, goes right into the main, engine, the main energy line, electrical line, where everything else in existence, it's also there, that pulsating energy, but it's on a different level, not quite that intense. Just to give examples... Uh, these examples I'm giving are just to give examples of where this plays itself out in our life. So wherever we're going in life, we're looking for energy. We're looking for that passion. We're looking for that excitement. The question is whether you will control it or it will control you and whether it will become integrated in your life in a healthy way. As I write in, my ch- in another chapter in Toward a Meaningful Life, intimacy, the sanctity of sexuality, 
that sexuality divorced of intimacy becomes yet another self-indulgent experience and an escape. Whereas a true intimate connection spills over. It's not just when two people are together physically, but it spills over in their relationship and their love, even if they're not physically together, even if they're millions of miles apart. Because what it does is it actualizes and activates that inner force of energy that lies so, so often concealed beneath the surface. But this becomes something that is a 24-7 experience. No matter what you're doing, you have the opportunity to access that. So how do you turn a routine life into a, an ordinary routine life into something extraordinary? You realize that it's right there beneath the surface of the ordinary is the extraordinary. You don't need to go anywhere. And then you need to do things to tap into it and access it. It all begins with our attitudes, with our awareness, where you apply yourself and say, one second, I'm looking at something, and it's never what, it me- what meets the eye. Not what you see is not what you get. On the outside, it looks like it's just ordinary. But then you discover the extraordinary. When you love somebody, somebody else may see them as ordinary, but you see something extraordinary. And that can be done in anything in life, even the apple that I described, even pedestrian activities, even just commuting, seemingly trivial matters, can all have within them tremendous amount of energy. So nothing is ordinary. Everything is extraordinary. It's only our attitudes can be ordinary attitudes. I mentioned a number of times the Balshemtov again, his statement, which is connected to this whole theme. The difference between a miracle and a natural event. He says there's one thing, frequency. If the sun were to rise once in our lifetime, everyone would come rushing out and we'd bring our families and children and camera crews. Wow, look at this ball rising in the horizon. But it happens every morning and you can predict it. So what's all? Is it less extraordinary? No, it just just becomes something common. And we need a new rush. But it is extraordinary. So really a miracle is just a bunch of ordinary things that, that, that are, that, I'm sorry, a miracle is really, uh, nature, a natural event is really a bunch of miracles that are just happening in, ra- in a con- continuous way to the point that we don't even notice. I always mention the touching story. We were sitting in one of my classes years ago. At the end of the class, everybody was like inspired, a certain camaraderie sitting around. People were sharing their life stories. One, one individual, one man was there, a pediatrician. And he is the blessing. He says, my life is blessed. I, give, I bring children into this world. Not only his own children. He means to say he delivers children. Worked in New York Hospital, the eighth floor, the delivery floor. And he said the following, was very way, the way he phrased it, he says, you know, someone asked him, what's so special about it? He says, it's unbelievable. It's like a miracle. Here I am delivering children. Sometimes it's the middle of the night, quiet. Just a mother, a nurse, a few people. Sometimes it's the middle of the day, middle of the rush hour. The FDR is right beneath, on the, east, uh, on the east side of Manhattan. And you hear the cars honking, horns honking, and brakes screeching, and, and the occasional accident, and people you can sense their anger and their f- anger flaring. And I think to myself, where are they rushing to? This one's rushing home, this one's rushing just to rush. And here I am, I have the privilege, whether it's by day or night. Here there's no bumper-to-bumper traffic. The privilege of bringing life into this world. 
helping bring life into this world. The beginnings of everything. The beginnings of every people, of all those people in the rush hour. Without this, none of that would exist. And it brings me to tears, the contrast of a world so busy with its activities. And here I can see the miracle of gift, the gift and miracle of birth. No one who's witnessed or experienced birth can deny there is a miracle. It just doesn't last often. You forget, but then you're reminded. It's just amazing to imagine. Out of nowhere, a life. Look, and then we hear it pops out a life, grows up, a whole complex individual. From where? That's extraordinary. But it becomes ordinary because, thank God, many healthy children are born every minute. And then life takes over, and you don't even realize what, how many miracles are happening just to be able to breathe, to walk, to survive, to exist. How many things have to be exactly in its place? A bunch of extraordinary things that we're not even paying attention to. We're looking for a high. I need to watch something. I need to go to a party. I need to go to a comedy club. You have it going on in you better than any place. That go- the most excitement is happening right inside of you. I'm not dismissing the importance of and the value of getting stimulation from outside, but if it replaces a stimulation from within, what kind of life is it? So you have it right in you. So the first thing is awareness, attention. The morning you wake up, you say, Moda Ani, I acknowledge and thank you for, and for the soul that you've returned to me. And this soul is pure, and it's, you've created it, and you've shaped it, and formed it, and then still imbued it within me. You are a soul in a body, not a body carrying a soul. We're not physical beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a physical journey. The more you get in touch with your flame, your inner flame, the more you get in touch with a pulsating motion, its movement, its constant movement, the more exciting is your life. And then you look for all these opportunities for the soul to be nurtured, to be nourished. How is it nourished? By the sparks. So it's not just our body is nourished by the food. Our souls are nourished by the sparks within the food, just as the soul is nourished by the sparks in other things we do, whether it's not necessarily food or drink, other activities that we're involved in, interactions. And every person you meet, it's not just a business opportunity or just entertainment or just uh, shooting the breeze. It's an opportunity to connect two sparks, your spark and that other individual spark. And that makes the world a better place and refines it. That's the way of the exciting path of life. And it's all within us, not outside. That's why it's sustainable. Because you don't have to go look for it. All you have to do is unearth it. In the words of Michelangelo when they asked him, how do you carve those angels in the marble, those beautiful angels, those exquisite angels? How do you sculpt them? And he answered, I see the angels trapped in the marble. And I carved and carved to set them free. It's within us. It's just trapped in marble or in concrete or in other substances. The extraordinary is trapped in the ordinary to the point we don't see and we don't recognize and we don't appreciate that pulsating energy that's waiting to be released. So the way you do it is, number one, awareness, meditation, beginning from the morning, and then acting on it, doing things that activate that flame. And that can be through a conversation, stimulating conversation. It could be through volunteering and helping being kind to others. It could be through emotional connection. Yes, and it could be through romance and love 
and music and art and travel and frankly everything because everything has this energy within it. But there has to be a conscientious and a deliberate focus that's not about you and you benefiting and you enjoying. The most important thing is the release of the energy and that automatically will give you so much passion and joy that is not superimposed, that's not artificial. That's not something that will be temporary. A person on a mission, driven by this type of approach, is a very different type of life. Everything is a spiritual opportunity. Think of business people who own companies. Wherever they go, they're always looking for opportunity. They meet someone, maybe there's someone, a potential client, a potential employee, a potential talent, a potential third party, a potential investor, a potential partner. That's how you think. And someone focused in this way looks at everything as a potential release of energy, a potential new way to create an exciting journey, an adventure, and life becomes an ongoing adventure. Does that mean we won't have lapses and setbacks and times where we just want to become couch potatoes? Of course we're going to have moments like that. But even recognizing that is also something. Recognizing, you know what, right now, I need a little vacation. Vacation from all that energy. So be it. We're human beings. We sleep. We need to recharge. We need to have moments of respite. But, but even that's part of the journey. Because that's what do you respite? What's the rest for? Not as an end in itself. To recharge your batteries. To refresh. So you can then embark on more journeys. And on more adventures. And that's the story, my friends. So your routine is right there. We're not talking about getting rid of your routine. Finding within the routine that which is beyond routine. Finding the, or the extraordinary within the ordinary. So no one's asking you to change your life. It's just adding a dimension to whatever you're doing. Add that energe- the energy dimension. The or the energy, the light dimension. In what you're doing. Eating breakfast, tying your shoelaces, showering, exercising traveling, working, everything can be elevated. Everything can, is brimming with energy and everything, can allow, everything is waiting for you to release that energy. And when you do, everything changes. Try that attitude. And we don't have to begin. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Start one step at a time. Start in the morning, as I mentioned. Fine. Every day, one or two or three things that you do that are in this level of generating energy. You generate. You have to initiate. Find other people that initiate. And if anybody is a naysayer who just comes and says, what do you think you are and so on, maybe that's not the people you should be hanging out with more than necessary. Find people who are kindred spirits that connect on that level. That's the key. I want to conclude with a story. I always tell the story of Chaim Rappaport with the Baal Shem Tov as well. He once went on a journey a mission that the Baal Shem Tov sent him on. Came back, the Baal Shem Tov wanted to know, how did you travel? It seemed incidental, who really cares how he went? He got the job done. No. Baal Shem Tov insisted, so he shared. He went one night, he stayed in an inn. Another night, there was no inn to stay, so he camped out at the side of the road. In the morning, he woke up, washed his hands, said his prayers, then sat down to have something to eat. There was a little spring, a brook of water at the edge of the road, near the road, and he went and took the brook, the water, and made a blessing on it. 
Baruch Ata Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam Shahakal Niyabidvare. Thanking God for this gift that everything is vivified by your words. Perpetual creation. The Baal Shem Tov heard this, he jumped up, excited. What's he excited about? I took a drink of water. How many billions of times has this happened? And he said, that brook of water was waiting from the beginning of time for you to come. Bless it. And consume its energy and use that energy for something great. From the beginning of time, I always think about this. I travel different places. Sometimes places, I wonder who walked here before. Maybe it's even the road less traveled. Maybe no one tread here before. But every time you come somewhere, you think that place has been waiting for you to do something good there. Is that not a way to excite your life? Everything. And this doesn't have to be far journeys or exotic journeys. It could be right here where you travel every day, where you walk every day. Every day it's waiting for something new for you to do. That's an attitude. That's an attitude that can literally transform your life. But remember, we're addicted to, out, to outside external stimulation. And addictions distract us. When you have your drug, when you have your sugar, when you have your other highs, not only will you say, hey, I don't need another high, I have that. That, that is diametric opposite. And it's actually a, a uh, what's the word I want to use? A, uh, a metric opposite that counters the idea of stimulating from within. Because when you get out of stimulation, that replaces and you no longer seek the healthy form of stimulation that comes from within. So we need to learn how to wean ourselves off from these addictions. Now, addictions doesn't always mean a drug addiction, alcohol addiction. It could be an addiction that simply, that's what stimulates you. That's what excites you. Because it's easier just to get stimulated like that. Someone else is going to entertain you instead of you accessing the adventure within you. So that's one of the traps, and that's what's difficult, because the routines themselves trap you in the routines. However, there are always moments when we have a wake-up call, and we access and here you also have tools. And when you begin to do it that way from within, you see the contrast, how shallow and how pales in comparison outer stimulation, external stimulation versus internal stimulation. But take it step by step because if you go too fast, you most likely will regress. You take it step by step and you take the journey step by step. And now is a great time to begin because we're in a special month. Some of you may be familiar with my book, 60 Days, which is like a guide through this spiritual journey, through a journey, a spiritual guide to the high holidays, to this season, to help us access the inner energy within everything that's around us and within ourselves. And we help each other because we each, each soul connects to another soul. And that's what we like to believe in. I like to believe in our mission at Meaningful Life Center, to do exactly that. So we have a series of programs like this Wednesday night live program every Wednesday at 8.30 p.m. Then it's archived. Many, many other programs and both live, video, social media, articles, you name it, podcasts. So please take advantage. It's all about releasing energy. It's all about releasing the energy that is trapped within, within you, within me, within everyone, and within everything. 
in every moment of time. And when we do that, we create magic. We create an unbelievable surge. A volcano, but it's a healthy volcano. An eruption of energy that actually transforms ourselves and everything around us. So may everyone be blessed in achieving that, an energetic week, an adventurous week, a week of excitement, charging, electrifying, and the more the merrier, obviously, but always grounded and always channeled and harnessed. And please stay in touch with us, share, like, pass on this message, because as I said, we need each other. Each of us releases energy from the other, and the more energy that we bring together, the synergy only grows, and that is the greatest blessing of all. I thank you very much, and I look forward to see you again. Be well. Bye-bye.